Happy to introduce my next guest. She just dropped an incredibly beautiful and personal spiritual jazz record titled The Oracle, on which she pretty much does everything, including the clarinet, which is her main instrument, which was my instrument growing up, by the way, but a little bit more about that later. <laughs> um, that album's been helping me uh, survive the long, cold Montreal winter, and, and it gives me faith that spring is coming. Uh, based in Chicago, Illinois, she's a composer, multi-instrumentalist, singer, and true artist, most definitely. Uh, her name is Angel Bat Daywood. Um, uh, Angel, so good to talk to you. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. So happy to be on this podcast. I'm yeah, excited. so good to talk to you. You just dro dropped your very first album uh, titled The Oracle, mm -hmm. uh, which people can get on most platforms and also uh, very excited about that on cassette. Um, and so yes. let's start things off by just saying, uh, how does it feel to have it finally out into the world? How does it feel? You know, I'm just feeling so incredibly blessed because um, you know, just the whole nature of the, the pro project of the Oracle, like the way it came together, it was never, I never thought that it would just be of something of interest for people because I recorded everything on my cell phone. Like I recorded the, you know, all the instruments and everything. And it wasn't the, um, you know, the intention wasn't for me to come out with a record. It was, I would have a gig and, um, you know, I'll have like some musicians who can read music and some mu musicians couldn't. And so to kind of streamline rehearsals, you know, I would compose something and I would just end up recording all the parts, you know, and mixing it. And I would just send that out to people's emails. So a lot of those songs um, were, you know, they were composed for those reasons. So when I was approached by International Anthem, You know, um, and I've, I've known Scotty and Nice for a while on a personal and, and you know, on a personal side, just being my good friend. And he's like, yo, we really kind of want to, you know, they, he'd seen me around the city and we played music. And he's like, I'm really interested in seeing if you want to do a record. And I was like, well, I got all these songs. He's like, well, send them to me. I'm like, you know, I record them all on my phone, right? <laughs> he's like, just send them. So I sent it to him. And he was like, Angel, these are kind of cool. I really like them as is. Like, I don't think we need to do anything to them we'll just master them and i'm like are you sure because you know i recorded it all on my phone right <laughs> <laughs> you know this was not in the studio like i just want to make sure and i was like no we're cool and so um you know to be able to to put out something where it's just completely myself where i was completely myself i wasn't even thinking about anybody ever really hearing them except you know musicians for rehearsals mm -hmm. um to be able to put it out in um just the over Overwhelming amount of positive responses um, that people are saying about it is just so deeply wonderful and emotional as well. Because um, each of the songs I, when when I knew it was going to be an album, I, I put a lot of intention on them that 
the songs would, would be encouraging. So it's wonderful that, that people will say things like, you know, like what you said, like, oh, this is how I'm going to get through winter. Or like some of the stuff people would tell me, are like, oh, this is really healing me. And I'm feeling blessed from it. I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of music I want to make. I'm really, really happy. With yeah, it. <laughs> that's in, I mean, that's incredible. And you've, you've been getting some, mm-hmm. some great press and some great reviews by, you know, Guardian and Rolling Stone and Pitchfork. And I'm, you know, I'm sure not, maybe not in, in, in your wildest dreams you would have thought about that uh, a year ago or even two years no, ago. Not at all. Especially for some songs that were, you know, recorded on a cell phone to have Rolling Stone be like, oh, we really like this. And, um, You know, I'm I'm just a mate. Well, I think I think, um, I mean, speaking speaking as someone who only consumes music and doesn't make music, I, I know it sounds cliche to say, but some of the greatest records to mm-hmm. me have have been records that you feel like the artist is doing strictly like for an audience of one, like that that artist. He's just like, mm-hmm. you know. Like uh-huh. I can think of, um, like for mm-hmm. example, um, I don't know if you remember uh, Cody Chestnut's headphone masterpiece. You know, kind of. That is so funny that you bring up that album. That album is very significant to me. That's crazy that you bring up Cody Chestnut's headphone masterpiece. I wore that oh. album oh, yeah. out, and during this whole process of me like sending it in, everything in the back of my head, I was always like that. I always was thinking about headphone masterpiece. I'm like, well, Cody, he pretty much did the same thing. Yeah. So it was kind of encouraging to me because I was kind of, you know, insecure, but I'm like, yeah, it's just going to sound decent, mm. you know, but then I thought about that album and how good it yeah. sounds, you know, and it wasn't like it was perfectly done in a studio and everything, but it had like that raw human quality to it. So that's crazy you bring that up. That's a real important album to me. Like, it's a real important album. Uh, likewise. Yeah. It's likewise, so good. Likewise. No, I, and I've gone back and, and, and I think people will go back to the Oracle and, and in 15 years and the same kind of genuine approach will mm-hmm. but it's 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 really interesting because the whole DIY recording it on your phone thing is something that sometimes you see in mm-hmm. electronic music uh, I guess sometimes in mm-hmm. hip hop not so much but but it's something I don't really mm-hmm. remember when the last time I saw that in jazz so you played most of the elements on on the record right I played everything Um, the only thing I didn't play was I, I put a jam session on there with, um, you know, cause also all of these, uh, songs got like stories to them. Like they were all like, it wasn't premeditated. There was like a story that happened. So I have a jam session on there. Um, cause you know, I like to travel. I, I travel a lot. Like maybe like once a year, I try to go somewhere. And I went to South Africa last year and, um, I didn't know a soul, So uh, the year before, I went to London, and I made a ton of friends, because I'm sure you've heard of, like, the whole jazz scene in London, how crazy amazing it is. And so um, I went there, and I met a ton of friends, and I asked one of my friends from London, and he I'm going to South Africa. Um, I don't know anybody. Like, it was really a random trip. I was like, who should I meet up with? And she's like, oh, I'll meet up with my homie Asher in Cape Town. So um, I met up with Asher, And we were talking, and all of a sudden, we realized that we both had, like, a shared interest in free jazz. Like, he knew everybody I knew. We were like, yo, Art Ensemble, like, this is perfect. Couldn't find out. That's also what, like, his, um, you know, in, in his master's, this is what he was studying and writing about and researching was about, like, the cosmology and the, um, the history of free jazz in, in 
South Africa. I'm like, how? Just my luck that I would meet like the person who's really, really into it. And so, you know, we were just talking for hours and he's like, come on over to my crib and let's do a jam session. I'm like, yes. So uh, we went over and of course he has records, you know, vinyl records are very important part of my whole practice too. And I noticed that anybody who's really into like more to free death have vinyl. I don't know why. And then when I went to his house and he had vinyl, I'm like, and he got the good stuff. Like he has like good stuff. And I was like, all right, this jam's going to be crazy. We went and just had this epic jam session. And I wanted to include it on the album because I wanted to encourage the world to get up with your homies and start playing music together. Now, I'm going to make up a statistic. I've made it up, but I'm going to stick with it, all right? I'm going to make, you know, people go around and they say, human beings are 70% water. Well, I'm going around and telling folks that we are 90% music. If we are 90% music, then we all should be having music as part of our everyday life. That don't mean you got to be a performer and get on stage and be in front of eyes or learn an instrument. I'm just saying that as people... Get with your friends, have them come over, and y'all either sing songs together. You know, like how we did back in the day. Like our indigenous ancestors used to do this. There was no TV and stuff. It was people getting together as a community and doing art together. And I really wanted to encourage that because look at this. If I hadn't got up with Asher, if we hadn't done this jam session, did we know that like a year later this would be on an album and that you'd be interviewing me and I'm talking about it? Yeah. No. But we took the time to do a jam. Now look at it. I feel I feel like someone would put the you know a twenty year old hip hop kid uh, or or R and B kid would mm-hmm. would would put it on with 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 good mm-hmm. headphones and just close their eyes and mm-hmm. listen to it. To me, it's there's something very accessible about it. Um, you know, there's something very human that that you don't need to know the the, the absolute history of of jazz to understand. You know. There's just something very visceral. You do, you just don't really you don't need to know uh, the entire backstory to appreciate it. You know. Well, that's good to hear because um, you know this music is you know I keep on saying great black music. You know, um, and it is influenced by my blackness. I, I just can't exclude that from my story because I'm a black woman, and there's just things, there's perspectives that I have being in this you know, perception, you know, looking at the world through this lens, you know, and the results was the Oracle, which I call it the Oracle because, well, first of all, it's my, my Instagram name, Angel the Oracle. But the reason why it's Angel the Oracle on there is because I had a good friend I used to do hip hop with. And he um, always said, Angel, you're like the Oracle on the Matrix. (laughs) And I was always, I always, that was like one of my favorite characters on the Matrix because I'm like, wow, for them to get, like, knowledge, they had to go to this black mm-hmm. woman. And I loved it because it was like, and it wasn't some techie thing. It was like you were in her house, comfortable. She in the kitchen cooking. I'm like, that is exactly how, as a black woman, I would give special knowledge. It would be, like, in a comfortable setting in my house, just like that. Just like this album. Because one thing that you said, human, like, in this day and age, we, we deal with um, non-human entities every day. They're called our cell phones. These are robots, all right? Robots do not breathe. They do not have flesh. They, they, they can't think on their own. They give us what they think we want. But robots don't understand that it's humans 
we have to be in the same room with each other from time to time. Like, it's cool to Skype and look at each other through a screen, but we're going to have to be more intentional about being in the same room with one another, eating together, singing, humming together. And I think that that need for uh, human connection is going to increase. Like, people are going to want to seek it out more, and um, they're going to seek it out more through the music, I think that live music venues are gonna gonna get an increase of att- attendance because people want to be more human. And um, the great thing about music is you can have two people from two opposite sides of the track who totally hate each other, and and you know our country is kind of divided like that right now. <laughs> um, you know people's politics and and you know racial stuff. But I noticed that with music, um, we can play all together, and then all those kind of hates and stereotypes kind of blur, and you just realize, oh. I'm singing with another human being who has a heartbeat like mine and we've got blood. We have a connection and um, the music really kind of any type of art and poetry and music kind of blurs those lines. So it's it's very important. It's very, very important. So you said you wanted to, you said you wanted to unpack the spiritual jazz word. So, so please. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I feel like people, it's its easy to take music. And the first thing that we want to do is just categorize it. And that's a larger thing because I know how, you know, you have to, cat to order to sell a product. You know, if you think of music as a product, you got to put it in some category. So this music I do is really just great black music because I'm a great black woman who plays music. So whatever comes out of me, this is what's coming. Um, spiritual jazz is kind of like an oxymoron to me because all black music is spiritual. There is no other. It's all spiritual. No matter what is being said, it comes from a spiritual space, a soul, you know, and, um, you know, black people in America, you know, we went through a lot historically and it has been our music that our soul, our music, that is our biggest contribution to the world, despite you know, everything that we've been through, our music, specifically music of people of the diaspora, you know, who came from another land, enslaved in another land, came and they made this music. Called, I call it Great Black Music. Now, I'm a big fan of Youssef Latif. He's like one of my, like, you know, you put him up there with Train and, and Miles Davis and all that. I can't have a conversation about them greats and not talk about Youssef Latif. And I think he has a better... Uh, definition of what it is. He calls it audio-physio-psychic music. In fact, he has an album called Audio-Physio-Psychic Music, but not just an album. He has a whole book on it. I got it. It's called How to Play Audio-Physio-Psychic Music because it's not just your ears, it's not just your physical, and it's also this kind of mad spiritual kind of esoteric thing, you know? And so um, in the book, he kind of goes over that. He starts with, it's, it's really good. But I also learned it just from listening to him, you know? And so, you know, I always have to give him props as well because he was, you know, like really one of the first kind of recognized, everybody was doing this, but kind of recognized musicians who would introduce other instruments to jazz, like world instruments, oboes and things like that. He also has a, a book called A Repository of, of Melodic Scales. 
And um, I really use this book a lot, much like how, you know, uh, Coltrane would use that uh, for some lot people. You know, the, there's a book um, that um, Coltrane uses Bible, but, and I have it too. It's like his Bible. Uh, Solinsky, I know I'm saying his wrong, name wrong, but Nicholas Solinsky, The Sars of Sales. Well, like my kind of book that Coltrane uses is the one that Yusef Latif has, his repository. And I like this book because it has um, all these scales from, like, ancient Africa. He got scales from ancient Greece, like, from the Ming Dynasty, so-and-so BC. You know, he even has a scale from um, Eric Doffy. Like, there's a special Eric Doffy scale in there. And then, of course, he has, like, the, I don't know if everybody's familiar with the John Coltrane kind of uh, diagram where he's doing, like, the circle of fifths, you know. So everyone in my circle, we study all this stuff. Like, everything that we do is not just for show. We are really into this music. And not just the sound, but the theory and the practice um, and the listening, you know. So... That's how I feel about the spiritual death. I know like people are trying to categorize yeah. it. Yeah, um, but, but it's not that. You know, it's, just, I, I, it's just great black absolutely. music. Absolutely, and, and I don't think I think that most of the time it does not come from a place of disrespect and, and ignorance. It just comes from mm-hmm. a, from a, from a place mm-hmm. of listen. You know, everyone in the world, ninety eight percent of the world, is listening to the same old, same old you know, top 40 that everyone's Uh been listening to. So sometimes we need those labels to take people by the hand and to kind of guide them through the rabbit hole because Uh jazz can be intimidating for for, for new listeners. So I think sometimes, I think sometimes you need uh, artists like yourself. You need artists that, that kind of like, bridge the gap between hip-hop culture or you know uh, what you know all kinds of different you know global music uh-huh. and, and well and, and it's it's i'm obsessed with and i'm using it when he just use the term but i'm obsessed with spiritual that like i have like all those records like all like getting into the vinyl because a lot of that stuff especially like the really really kind of meat stuff a lot of them um would be like people who came out with an album in the 60s one album you know because there was like a big huge wave of like kind of black consciousness and and black arts movement and the music that came out of that so maybe like one person who put out a record in 1979 they only put out one record and then now that's like a thousand dollars on this or something you know it's so precious you know, and and I can see why because if you listen to them, you'd be like, whoa, yeah. whoa. You know, you listen to them records or, or uh, like some real obscure jazz records, you know, um, or you know, like like black jazz label. Yeah. You know, yeah. I listen. Oh my gosh, I like like Doug and Gene Carr stuff. Yeah. Goodness, like if you listen to my, if you listen to Doug and Gene Carr, you can hear how they influenced me like because they they wouldn't just use just instruments there was vocals it that's why it was like it was like it was it wasn't just jazz it was like they were just they were doing something else i could hear the their gospel influence and most of these artists and in all honesty most black artists in america back in the day learned how to sing dance everything we learned all of this in church you know, we did. Like, no matter what your religion is, it's not even about religion. It's about the fact that, like, black people in America, like, most of our music comes from us learning it in a spiritual setting, you know? So the, the slaves, when we say my ancestors and slaves, they weren't allowed to practice their ancient traditional African traditions, spiritual traditions in public. Like, you could, you could get killed for that. 
you could get killed for even just reading the Bible, just knowing how to read. So, like, so my fourth, at least this ain't even a long answer. So this is like my great, great, great grandparents were living in that type of era where worshiping or connecting with the divine was forbidden. You know, my people didn't handle that well. You know, we were like, oh, no, we're still going to do this, whether or not we're enslaved or not. So they would sneak out into the woods in the middle of the night when the um, master was sleeping, and they would have uh, what they would call, they call these hush harbors. And um, they would basically go in the woods and have a jam session, okay? They would have a jam session. And... um, they would cry and yell and scream and get all of that oppression out. And this is how they got through. This, this is how they got through. Now, in those jam sessions in the woods, these secret places that you're going to get out of oppression, that's where you got the spirituals. That's where you got the blues. That's where you got gospel. That's where you got hip-hop. All of it came because these people were oppressed and they went to do Seek the divine through music. So a lot of the things that I do, I'm really into promoting that about, look, y'all, jam together. Now, they didn't have anything, okay? You couldn't even play drums. If they heard your drums, could get whipped. All they had was their bodies and their selves. So that's, that's also telling me you don't have to, you know, be a professional musician. Yes. I am really good at the clarinet. Yes, I am really good at piano and, and all that kind of stuff because I've studied it. But even if I wasn't, you just come as you are where you are with people because there's, you know, this music is also uh, very powerful in changing the world. There's a lot of things going on in the world that my generation and the generation under me, we're just like, no, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable conditions. I don't want to live in a world like this. I don't want to live in a world where I got to see, like, you know, my, like, I see children, beautiful babies, and they got to grow up in this. No. How do we change that? You know what I mean? And music, like I said, we're 90% music. Hello, we can do it sonically. Sound waves are physical waves. They're not something in your head. Mm. They actually move stuff. If they didn't, why do you think that people are in, 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 Record companies are spending millions of dollars a year to put out songs. Cause I sorry, they know the power of music. So if we have that attention, if we put the music back into the hands of the folk, the people, you see what happened to my people. That my people, the folk, they still went out and sung, and they used it to commune with the divine. And we used whatever religion was right in front of us at that time of the Christianity. All right? Now, you will see a difference between a black church and a non-black church in America. It's a completely different thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? A black church here, you know, it's different. You know, because of the context of that, and a major part of it is uh, the music. So a lot of my music, um, because I grew up in a church, I learned you know, it was like that was a place where you could express yourself. You know, like if something hit you and, and you, it was okay to cry in church, it was okay to shout. Some people go there, like being black in America is rough. Being black in general is rough, you know. And there's just a lot of trauma that black people go through. And they don't, oh, we don't get a chance to go to a therapist and everything. No, most of the world is like, suck it up, mm-hmm. y'all. 
You know, like, yeah, really, it. it's like yeah. that. So, like, but what about, get over it, but what about all the hundreds of years of trauma that we've been through? We don't get a chance to breathe. So, like, music is so important in, um, in those religious settings where there's a church, where there's a mosque, whatever. Um, when, when black people get a hold of them type of situations, it's different, <laughs> you know? So the album is also in that way. Um, so I can see what they say when they say it's spiritual. Yeah, most definitely. But I think pretty much all black music is, you know, it, it has a spiritual, it has a, a gospel feel to it because I grew up in church, really, and singing in choirs. And, you know, when I was first learning clarinet, who was the first stage? It was in church. Oh, baby, you can play the clarinet. Come on. We're going to have a special service today with Angel. She's going to play her clarinet. It was like that. You know, there was always a piano. There's always choir rehearsals. So you just think about all the music that you learn just from being in church. Which is why, day. isn't the cover, yeah. the cover of the record is, is you at your first communion or? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was my, that was my that baptism doesn't... at the church where I learned all of that. Everyone could sing. Sure in the church, you know, and some people, it would be like, and it was all a jam session too, because sometimes it would be like the spirit would take over the whole church, like the, the organ would be playing, and it don't matter now, as kids, we're bored, we don't really want to listen to the sermon, we're bored, but there was always a point where um, there's some old songs, some really ancient songs that we sing in the African American church, that if you listen to it, it sounds just like the ancient songs of ancient Ethiopia, the ancient songs of Arabia, the ancient songs. I even had a, a friend, she was playing, she's, a, she's from Taiwan, and she's playing one of these old Asian instruments. And I'm like, you know them scales he's playing? I hear it in the blues. I, I hear it in, like, we sing the same thing. So it just showed me that, like, oh, we're tapping into some very, very ancient music. And maybe that's actually a better term for it, ancient sound um sound they have like they a lot of people want to call it like middle eastern but no it's not that because they're just playing ancient you know um all of that comes it's old music so there's certain songs in the black church where they go into the zone right and it don't matter whether it's like a baby or it or the oldest person we all kind of sit still and like there's just this presence and there'll be I can't even explain it. And I know some of those old songs. And it's kind of sad because, like, a lot of these modern churches are trying to be modern, that they, like, throw out all the old, old songs where we know still some of those old songs that they were singing in the woods. Like, we still know them. I know them. I was fortunate enough to grow up, um, you know, from the South, and there's still churches there that are, you know, they ain't got a lot of stuff but they've been doing the same thing for years. So I know a lot of them and I'm trying to incorporate that in what I'm doing now with jazz yeah. and experimental music, speaking in tongues. Like that's something that I always, like that ain't nothing but scatting. So sometimes I'll be on stage. Mm -hmm. I'm like, did you, you know, I'll, I'll be having experiences. Have yeah. you started thinking about, or, or, or is there already in the works? Is there kind of like a live version of the Oracle or it, or is the Oracle what it is? And it's, yeah, there is. 
Yes, I'm so glad you bring that up because it's like I think a lot of people think I'm gonna be on stage with my just me and my cell phone. <laughs> I'm like this music, you know, like this music was never meant to be just played for one person, you know. Like as I told you earlier, like all of these songs were me just recording all the parts so that my band could get the the tune. So yeah, it's always been uh, meant to play live, which is my band. It's the Brotherhood. Um, so whenever I perform live, it's usually with them. Um, these are, uh, six brothers of mine who I've played a lot of music with and, um, we're in all sorts of different collectives. Each one of them on their own are amazing genius composers and musicians and play like five or six instruments. But, um, yeah, live is always going to probably be with the brotherhood and, um, they know the tunes, but it's just like, you know, I get my formula for putting together an ensemble because, you know, I've had so many shifts and changes in that from Grover uh, Washington Jr. Another record, Soulbox. He got this record called Soulbox. And I, I like records because, you know, they get all them lining up. And I was reading it one day, and he said uh, the way he puts together an ensemble is he first uh, thinks about their attitude towards each other the musicians' attitudes toward each other, and then he thinks about their attitude towards the music, and then he thinks about their technical abilities. And I, was, I thought that was very interesting because it's like he's right. You can have, like, the best players in the world, but if they all got, like, you know, shitty attitudes and they don't really care about the music, it, it don't matter. Um, I was just so fortunate enough that I had that trinity in perfection with these guys they're all like really really great we all love each other we're all family you know we've known each other for some years and played with each other just in jam sessions around the city um they have a great attitude towards this music meaning all of them listen to records all of them know about stuff like all we do is talk about music all day just like how we're talking and then technical abilities i can't i can't even I can't even tell you how amazingly talented they all are. Like for real, most of them play like are multi-instrumentalists. Um, I have people in the band who are playing one thing, like, like my, like the drummer who I drum with Isaiah Collier. Now everybody in here knows him as saxophone. And he's bad. He's young. He's only like 20 years old. He's so young. Everybody knows him as a saxophonist and everything. Nobody knows that he plays drums. And he's bad at it. So, like, at any moment, it's like any of them could play anything on stage. And so our stage, it, it, we're very influenced by, like, Art Ensemble of Chicago and, you know, Association for Advancement Stage Musicians. We're so, we talk about ACM and all of them so much um, because they were about original compositions. And so, like, our stage will really look like Art Ensemble Adam Zanellini in my band, he plays like bass, but then he's a great flautist, so he's got like an alto flute and flute, and he also plays saxophone. You know, got vocalist Julian Otis, but he also can do all sorts. It's just like they all do. It's which it's fun for me on stage. There's never a dull moment. So they know the Oracle songs, but we do a lot of improv in between as well, just to keep that whole spirit. Yeah. I mean, I've been. Yeah, so really I fun. mean, at, at a distance, of course, I'm all, I'm all the way to Montreal, but I've I've been noticing like three three four years ago, uh, you know, everything that's coming out of Chicago, and and I really you know can't wait to go and and you know catch that kind of a show live. 
Well, I mean, I, I have a feeling we could talk for uh, we could talk for hours. Uh, oh, you know. I would also, I, I would really recommend uh, people at home um, go and go and check out a few of your interviews because your, you know, your story of how you started music when you were young and then how you stopped for a while and how you started again and and all of the different you know challenges and i know i mean your your just your journey is and and your path and your determination to make all of this happen is is super super uh, inspiring um so i would i would encourage oh thank you Let's close it out by um, let, let's pick one one track from your record that you can maybe one that's closest to your heart. I know that's it's hard to pick one, but you know, uh, let's let's close out the interview with the, with a track from the Oracle. Uh, yeah, I would like to play uh, "We Are Stars." Okay, awesome. So good to talk to you. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks a lot. Show. Sure.